nice f***ing scooter. She's like, hey, f*** you, guy. Exactly. That's what I said. Hello and welcome back to Hindsight is 50-50. I'm the host J-Rod with my co-host the ORG, old retired guy. Dad, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. A little bit, little bit tired today, but I'm doing good. We, uh, you know, it was a wild card weekend, so we got to see some of that. The, um, the dog's been, you know, he's 14 and he's, he lost his, um, uh, companion you know back earlier in 2022 and he hasn't been the same since so he's pretty anxious at night and uh end up having to stay up with him a lot which is hard on me and your mom both but yeah so i'm a little bit tired but i'll i'll we'll get by and you know he's not a nuisance and it's like we could put him in the kennel cage and just you know let him whine but we choose not to do that. He's been pretty spoiled, so we'll probably keep him that way. <laughs> you know how it is. It's hard oh, to yeah. say no to pets, you know. But yeah, it's just like when you think you're going to kick him out of the bed, make him sleep on the floor, and then they end up having more of the bed than you do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, and 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 that's. I mean, they're they're part of your family, so yeah. Oh, I I'm mean, the it, worst. Like I. I, I'm the guy who's like, do not feed them table scraps. The dogs are not allowed in here. They have to leave the kitchen. But I'm also the same guy that will cook them their own steak for dinner. <laughs> it's just, I do that you know, a lot of times. I'll make Max a, a small hamburger. Yeah. You know, if I'm making hamburgers. I'll make Extra chicken breast, whatever it is. Yep. But, you know, we were, the other day I got I got thinking about this story, and I don't think I had told it about my younger sister, Michelle, who's no longer with us. She is 15 years younger than me, and we lost her right around Mother's Day of uh, 2022. And she had she had been ill for a long time. She had, you know, gone through a lot of challenging physical stuff, and, and she passed away, and, you know, obviously 15 years younger than I am. But she was, um, you know, for a lot of her life, she and I got along really well. Not 100% of the time, but for a lot of her life, we did. And, you know, I think I told the story on, I think I told it on the podcast about when she got that Vespa scooter and had it shipped from Italy. She always had this, she'd have this fascination with things. And one of them was scooters. And, you know, the first thing she did when she got that Vespa was she wrecked it in mom and dad's yard in front of my dad and my brother. And then she wasn't hurt other than her thumb, but I guess it was, you know, video that was, you know, would be in the Smithsonian if somebody had captured it. Oh, God. I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. You're, you're talking about, I mean, at that time, over 300 pounds? 
I, I don't know that she or was in the then, area. The, the Vespa was a long time ago, but she's always a but big I, woman. She lost weight after the Vespa, but she was fairly big when she got that. We couldn't believe she was riding it. So, I mean, you got more woman than you do scooter is, is well, the point I'm trying to always, make. <laughs> she was always big as an adult, or pretty much always big as an adult. And and she was not, um, she was not very athletic. I used to tease Ooh. her about that. Very, you know, very uh, artistic, but just not athletic. Yes. Well, you know, see, she had the she had this fascination with scooters, and I don't know why. I don't think she rode the Vespa hardly ever, but somehow or another, Did one you of her flamer. <laughs> well, well, yeah, but that was her fault when it started <laughs> out bad. One of her friends. Um, and she had it worked on several times, and, and she ended up selling it uh, to a friend who actually got it running. But one of her friends won a Stella scooter. Well, Stella, you know, they're pretty, it's not as famous as Vespa or Cushman, but pretty famous, especially New Age, you know, recently in the last 20 years or whatever. And they're, you know, it's renowned as a pretty good brand. And I remember, you know, her sending me pictures of it, and it was silver. And, I mean, it was brand new. He won it in some contest. And then he turbocharged it, and he had it sent to her. He had it shipped to her. And he was out of Chicago, and he was a close friend of hers. Well, she's showing me pictures of this thing, and it's beautiful. But I had never seen it in person. And this was at a time when she was still lived in Ann Arbor when she got that Vespa, or uh, Stella. And I had would always have business around the Ann Arbor area, and lots of times I ate lunch there. So it was early in the spring, and I knew she had, you know, she had got that thing like through the winter, and she hadn't ridden it. And it was early spring, you know, it was the kind of weather where you'll see motorcycles out, but it's only the hardcore people, you know, it's right. like, it's Still not 70 yet. It's not even 60. And I mean, I'm headed, I'm going down the street and it's a five lane, uh, you know, boulevard, I guess, you know, with a center turn lane and two lanes going in each direction. And I'm in the left lane not in the turn lane and behind me i see this big woman for all the world looks like my sister with sunglasses and she's dressed like my sister would dress like sweatpants and tennis shoes and she's got this retro vintage helmet like a metal flake which is right in line with what my sister would do. And this person is behind me on a Stella scooter. I mean, and it's silver. And I know that's Michelle. I mean, it's got to be Michelle. Well, I pull up, you know, I stop. And this person on the scooter is going to go in the left lane, and we're both stopped at a red light. And I... You know, knowing that that's my sister, rolled down my window and I go, Hey, nice effing bike. I just yelled it really loud, <laughs> thinking 
that Mick is going to look at me and flip me off or something, you know? Right. It wasn't, it wasn't Mick. <laughs> and I'm, <laughs> it wasn't my sister. So what, did the, so what did the woman do? She just like looked at me and then looked straight ahead. Yeah, and like, we're both sitting in a red light. <laughs> Nobody can move. We were both sitting there. It seemed like minutes. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> we're sitting at a red light. And I mean, I swear, there were so many things where the stars aligned. And I swore that was my sister. And so I just rolled down my window. And I yelled at knowing that, you know, my sister would say, you know, blank you or something. You know, that's we just had that relationship. And we talked that, you know. Like, we were friends and just needled each other all the time. And it wasn't her, and man, did I feel about two inches tall. And yeah, then I had to, just then start I had lowering to, the seat and tilting it yes, back. <laughs> and then I had to set, I think I might even said sorry. Yeah. And I, <laughs> you should and have I just fucking s- waited for it to turn green and tooted your <laughs> horn as she left. <laughs> then I had to sit there until it turned green. We both yeah, had I mean, to sit there. But that's one of those things where it's like you either just like sink to the depths of your soul or you just like, you know what? It's time to fucking embrace it now. (laughs) Nothing you can do, man. Yeah, it was like it it was out there. But I to this day, I, I remember all those things and it just like it looked like her. The helmet that lady had on looked like something that Mick would have. The glasses were like rosy they were like pink lenses uh which looked like something that mick would have and then it's a silver stella and it's well and for anyone out there with like the clothes and all that it's it's tough to explain uh like what mick would dress like but but all i can say is if you've ever watched some uh let's say like early 2000 movies it's a very rosie o'donnell look (laughs) <laughs> and so like it's it's very hard to mistake other people for her i mean you got the haircut the size the scooter all that but it's like even the dress you're not gonna like the the outfit you're not gonna see other people dressed like that very often no no it she had her own style and yeah i, I no you're you're on the right track man that's I would I would support that statement. So that's all the more reason it had to be her. And then when you something nice like fucking that. scooter, exactly. Like, hey, fuck that's you what guy. I said. That's what I said. And I just, you know, hey, like, oh, this is not where this, I parked my car. How about those tigers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You fucking see that over there? Me neither. I don't. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah. I just felt Woo. like a piece of crap. So how did? But anyway, happen? so so you and I were talking before the before that we went on air, and and I said there were uh you know first off I sent you that video of JJ and the tribal dance. Hopefully, you'll be able to include that in the in the podcast when you get it posted. Um, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to try right now. I'm having a little bit of, it's, it's hilarious, code, but, and he's not very old. I'm shocked at how high he could jump all the, off the ground at that age. Cause he's not too in that video. He's not for sure. Well, that and, kid was 
born jumping like a frog. Oh, I know. And when he, you know, hopefully people will be able to see it because I just start doing like an Indian chant, a Native American chant, and he starts hopping. And he's giggling, laughing, hopping along with that chant. And, you know, at the end, he throws up his hands and he comes over and slaps me and gives me five. It's just, <laughs> uh, it's one of those, uh, that's one of, you know, there's, you have those videos of your grandkids and, you know, in their 15, 20 second song. My gosh, I bet you I've watched that video a thousand times. I, it just brings a smile to my face every time I see it. And, you know, he's just, you know, you can hear it in his voice. He's giggling while he's jumping, and he doesn't even know why. He's just yeah, giggling. They're always doing something silly, and, and like, he, he was always jumping around and doing that little chant. And with Jamie, one of the things that, I don't know if we have it on video or not, but it just cracks me up. Uh, he he still doesn't talk very much at all, um, but even before he was completely saying a few words here and there, you'd knock something down or drop something where you're like in the kitchen, you're like, shit, you know, like, because you spilled something <laughs> all over, and he'd go, ow. <laughs> and it's just like, you little fucker. <laughs> he just had an insult to injury from the fucking peanut gallery over here. So I, the reason I had to bring this up is because uh, uh, I, I know this wasn't a topic we had talked about, but a funny story happened this morning. So I, I thought it was worth sharing just because, you know, my kids, they, they get into so much shit and they're turning into bash bros. So it's like they now commit their crimes together. And so Melissa mm. comes home from her shift this morning. So the kids get up. They usually play for a few minutes on their own. Then she's home, uh, get some breakfast situation situated. I get up and we kind of switch over. Um, so when Melissa comes home, she goes into the kid's bedroom. And she sees Jamie and it looks like he's crying. Like he's got tears down his face. She's like, what's going on? And she goes to walk over there, and there's toys near him because uh, J.J. loves to throw toys into Jamie's crib, and then he will climb up in Jamie's crib, and, you know, they play right there. So she goes to move this big school bus out of the crib. And when she goes to move it, she, she when she touches it, she gets her hands covered in all this greasy shit. And she's like, What? And she's looking at it, and it looks like Vaseline has been rubbed all over <laughs> this giant, I mean, like a two to three foot school bus. <laughs> and and it, it's probably a foot and a half wide. I mean, it is a great big bus. And it is like, it's got a slot where you put little things inside of it, and they play music with little discs. The whole slot's been filled with this salve. JJ's got it all over his clothes and his hands. Jameson's got a spear all over his face and his hair. <laughs> and she's like, what the hell? She picks it up. And it was like a gag gift that someone had got us. She, find, she finds the tub that they were using. It, it is for babies and it is for like diaper rash. It's called bag balm. They were smearing like a ball sack cream all over their faces. <laughs> and I mean, it's everywhere. So she's telling me about it. And I'm like, I can't, it cannot be this bad. So I get up and she shows me the bus. 
dude picking up that thing is like handling a greased pig. <laughs> covered. <laughs> you couldn't have covered it head to toe more if you tried. It's just like, thanks, guys. Nice. <laughs> That's hilarious. Dude, you uh, and there's guess what? It's there's just more to worse. come. Oh there's more to come. Well, and I know I've shared it before, but it's just like the story with the marker. You know, they're all quiet. There's two times that they've been quiet and, and they've gotten in pretty big trouble. Um, well, they did that again today. So so I guess three now. The first one was they got into Melissa's nail polish and they decided to paint our carpet, which was oh. fun. And then the second time they got into the Sharpies in which when we found them, Jamie was laying on his back and JJ was coloring his feet blue. And now the and, third one. And is Jameson both, was letting him. Oh, just giggling his ass off. And then uh, the third one was today and they went into our bathroom while Melissa and I were like cleaning up their stuff from lunch and all this stuff. And they decided to take all the Kleenex out of a box and unroll an entire roll of toilet paper and then start shredding it onto our bathroom floor. And this mm. is after two days ago, JJ took an entire roll of toilet paper and threw it in the toilet and then stuffed the cardboard holder in the toilet hole and flushed the toilet. Oh. So Daddy had to... Stop the toilet from cut the water off because it was going to overflow and just keep spilling. And then I had to reach in the toilet with my hands. I mean, these kids, they're, they're getting everything and they are pushing me to the brink. But I, you know, I love them to pieces. Obviously, when you get the frustration of God damn it out, you know, then it's it becomes funny later. And it's like just to think that they're doing that together, like. Like, J.J. might be stuffing toilet paper in the toilet. Well, Jamie will come out and close the bathroom door so you can't see him do it. <laughs> I mean, they're just, they're constantly being bashful. And anybody who has kids has gone, has or will go through all of this stuff. I mean, it happens. It happens. You know, it's like, I remember you guys, and I, you know, you guys covered up, I don't know how much stuff that I didn't hear about until <laughs> you were an adult. Till you were all adults, but it happens. And, you know, you hope nobody gets hurt and you hope no real damage is done, but some of it, you kind of have to go around the corner and giggle at, you know, because it is funny. Well, that, uh, that, that brings up one more and I, and I know I'm running on here, but it, it just kind of proves like how everyone's in on it together. Right. Like the dogs. So the, JJ, after I JJ takes the dogs out with me when he wants, like he has to come, so I let him come. And then when we come back in, he likes to give him a treat, so I let him give the dogs a treat. Well, now Jameson wants to do it, so sometimes the dog gets the dogs get two treats, um, but we try and limit it because we don't, you know, want to fatten them up too much or anything. Well, excuse me, I'm looking around the other night, like I, I I turned on football or something and. Something happened in the game to where I was paying attention. And then I look over, and, and Melissa's at work. And it's like, there's no kids, no dogs in the room. And everything's quiet. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, shit. What? And I realized my bedroom door's been closed. They can't get it open. I've baby-gated the kitchen off so they couldn't be making a mess in there because 
they got flour and poured it all over the floor today. Um, but they they had snuck into their room and closed the door, and they can't get back out because it's got a handle sleeve on it, so they can't even open the door. So now it's like they're trapped in there, so they're going to do the most damage they can. They had brought the whole bin of dog treats. Both dogs were in there laying on the floor, and they poured it out in front of them, and the dogs are fucking mouthing. (laughs) I open the door, and everyone's guilty, like, oh, no, dad's here. (laughs) And it's like, boys, what are you doing? They start giggling, and I'm trying to get them in trouble. The dogs are trying to snake as many treats as they can before I take them away. And it's like, our dogs had the shits for two days. (laughs) Come on, man. But they're always in it. You know, I can't even count on the dogs. There's always something going on with these boys. And it, Again, it definitely keeps me entertained, for sure. Yeah. And, and you know, a lot of it you have to laugh about later, even though it might not even be funny at the time, but later it's funny. Now that, I would I would have struggled to not laugh right with them, you know. Right. I yeah. mean, I would have I struggled to not Well, the hardest, even if you hold it in, the hardest part to me is like you might hold it in originally and like keep your stone face, but then when you sit them down because you don't want to spank the kids or any, or ground them over something like that, you know there needs to be levels of how bad things are so that they understand what crossing the line is, and so it's like when you sit the kid down and you're like, listen, that can make the doggies really sick and all that. That to me is the hardest part because they're looking at you all cute and they still think it's funny. And it's like, now we've gotten past the point of the original frustration and it is funny and I'm not allowed to laugh, which makes me want to laugh even more. (laughs) That's pretty good, man. And, And again, it's, I think anybody who has, has had kids, has kids, if you haven't experienced that kind of thing, you will. And, you know, a lot of it, again, there's, <laughs> you hope the collateral damage is minimal. But the but, priceless moments are worth oh, it because you wouldn't get I'm, them anywhere else. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Well, I know we wanted to talk a little bit about the playoffs, the NFL playoffs that happened this weekend. But before we talk about that, I, you know, there's something happened here locally that you know we're we're not used to the lions being talked about nationally in a positive way and that's obviously happened a bunch and you know we're only 9 and 8 we didn't make the playoffs but i think we got everybody's attention and everybody kind of respects what's being done as far as the staff that's here the management team and the player the product they're putting on the field I think there's a lot of teams, and we'll never know because they didn't make the playoffs. But I think there's a whole lot of teams that are pretty glad they didn't. Yeah, there's a lot of teams that did not want to play us. No, because they were playing that well. At any rate. And you're scrappy. You're that team that can bite anybody. In in all these positive things, again, we're not used. I'm not used to. It just doesn't happen. We've been a doormat for so long in the joke, you know, it just doesn't happen. But like everybody else, I mean, I'm a loyal fan, and I'm. it's nice to get the pub. It's nice to get positive press. 
And, you know, just recently this happened, and this never happens. This happened at last week, the end of last week, I guess. Ben Johnson, who is our offensive coordinator, I, I believe he's 36 years old, he had a great year. The Lions' offense was, I think, overall ranked like fifth out of 32 teams, scoring, yards per game, all that. When you combine those things, uh, they're, you know, sacks allowed, yards per carry, all those metrics. I think they were like fifth, either fifth or seventh in the league, really high. For the, Again, this is rarefied air for the Lions. And so those people that don't live in Detroit or aren't fans of Detroit, just so you understand, this we're not in this position often. And a lo- in large part, it was because of this offensive coordinator, this Ben Johnson's relationship with Jared Goff. He helped get the best out of Jared Goff. I think his play calling was really imaginative. You and I have talked about it, some of the calls they made um, that were made and some of the chances they took that, you know, turned out in a positive way. Well, this guy, he was the only uh, member of Matt Patricia, the previous Lions coach, that was retained. And he wasn't retained in his capacity that he had under Patricia. Dan Campbell retained him, and I believe he made him a tight ends coach and a special assistant, some special offensive assistant, something like that. And he was doing that job last year until Campbell was very unhappy with their offense. And this is during 2021. And Anthony Anthony Lynn was the coordinator. And Campbell didn't fire Anthony Lynn during the season. What he did was he took away his play calling duties. And he took them over. And he had Ben Johnson, the tight ends coach at that time, assist him. Well, when the season was over, and I believe they did that for five games, and I think they won three out of five, and they only won three games in 2021. They tied one. So, I mean, this guy had an impact. Well, in the offseason, they let go of Anthony Lynn, and they promote Ben Johnson to OC, to offensive coordinator. He has this year with Goff. He has this year with our offense. I think a lot of people, a lot of Lions fans were very happy with our offense and very happy with the play calling. Well, you know, the, the, the Sean McVeigh's and, um, people like Matt LaFleur's and a lot of the young guys, you know, that's the going trend in the NFL is to hire young guys. So Ben Johnson, after this success with the offense, he gets called for interviews And I believe he interviewed with Denver for their head coaching job. I know he interviewed with Carolina. And the rumor was is that he was the front runner to get the Carolina coaching job. 36 years old, coming off a nice year as an OC, very young. You know, he's an up-and-comer. So last week he's getting ready to fly down for his second interview, probably where they would announce that you know, they would agree on a contract and he would be announced as their new coach. And he calls them and basically tells the rest of the league, I'm staying here. I'm, we've got unfinished business. For whatever reason, whether it was loyalty to Dan Campbell, whether it was the fact that he looked at himself and thinks he needs to learn more, because many of those guys, 
many NFL coaches, period, do not succeed. Many of the young guys that they try, I mean, they just did it with Nathaniel Hackett out in Denver, and he didn't make it through a full season. And he's not super young, but he's not old. And that but was I don't think you find the culture and the passion that Dan Campbell brings anywhere else in the NFL. And if you do, it's a, it's a hot commodity. It's definitely a rarity. So I, I think walking away from that's probably tough. But, uh, but on top of that, I also feel like it, when you, if you watch Dan Campbell's press conferences and, and if you've seen the hard knocks and you've seen his coaching style and his passion and all that, you know, there are a lot, and maybe I'm stretching it with that verbiage, but it seems like there are a lot of dictators in this league uh, that are at the head coach position. But Dan Campbell, to me, really shows the that structure and value of what you bring are what's most important to this team. So everyone plays a vital role making the offensive coordinator not some second fiddle to the head coach, but he is the lead guy on offense. And it's like, listen, if something comes down to it, yes, I am the guy, but I will also take the fall for this team. But when it comes to our offense, you are the guy. And I think he allows people to do what they need to do and not try and be that dictator where it's like, you only do it my way. Like if someone... If this Ben Johnson finds something that's successful, Dan Campbell doesn't get pissed and have an ego that, you know, it's not my way. He goes, you know what, that that fucking worked. Let's do it. You know, whatever the reason, and they, and you're right, that very it very well could be. I think there are multiple reasons. I really do. We're not used to this. I mean, as Detroit fans. We're not used to a good news you know, for Detroit Lions fans is when you make a big name or have a big day in the draft because you got some cool player that we're going to watch their career fade. Like that's <laughs> that's what good news for us is. Well, yeah, I don't. Or, look or at hitting five hundred on the season. Yeah, I mean, I don't look at it that way. I, I'm I remain optimistic, but I understand what you're saying. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. I just, I choose to be more optimistic than that. But whatever, whatever the reasons that he's, we're not used to this. We're not used to people wanting to be here or wanting to stay here. And it's, um, it's a pretty cool thing. Well, I don't know how long Sheila has been in control. Do you know how many years she's been in control? I want to say three. Okay, because uh, I thought it was relatively new, but but I think she might have a lot to do, not only just working with them, uh, like with the coaching staff and all that, and, and helping change the culture here, but I, I was reading an article about her the other day, and I, I was pretty impressed because I'm not saying things like this didn't happen before, but the amount of spunk or fight that, that was involved in it um, definitely is something a little bit... Uh, shocking, I guess, or, or a little less heard of if you're a Detroit Lions fan. But she she called after the the Rams Seahawks game, which the blatant bad calls and and bad officiating ended up costing the Lions the playoffs. I'm not saying they didn't shoot themselves in the foot throughout the season. I'm not. You know, the outcome of the game is what it is, but the result of that game ended up kicking the Lions from being able to make the playoffs. So 
throughout all this frustration, one of the things that she did was she called up several other owners throughout the league and, and told her uh, or told her story and her complaints about the officiating and wanted to know if they felt the same. And several other owners agreed with her. And so now they are bringing back, again, the idea, not saying this will happen, but the idea of a um, sky judge or sky official. Right. And, and so th- there might be a potential rule change of it, but also they had, they're launching an investigation on uh, the training of the officials, any biases that might be involved with the officials, all of this thing, and and kind of the scheduled programming that the referees are going to have to go through uh, preseason to make sure that they're ready for the regular season, what their training regimen is, all of that, um, their knowledge of the rule book, the t- how the calls are being made, their consistency, and then again, potentially that rule change with the sky judge. And to me, I'm not saying it's the first time it's ever happened, but she's so involved that it's like, even when you get screwed and and you know you're still going to have the fight for next year and you've got the coach that's going to instill that fight in you next year when your owner goes to bat for you and is like this is fucking bullshit that can revitalize a team i mean like i i think that her involvement in truth truly wanting this team to be good is helping propel them more than owners have done in the past Oh, for sure. I wouldn't just disagree with that at all. I actually saw, um, uh, you know, I saw a link the other day to pro football talk and it was Mike Florio and Mike Florio is on Sunday night football. He's the attorney he's, you know, but he's a sports fan. I don't think he's a practicing attorney anymore. And he's been with pro football talk for a while. You and I had talked about spielman's imprint on this team yes you got like a 13 minute talk and a lot of it is about that and a lot of it is about how spielman is the ears of uh sheila ford hamp um and you know i like i said i don't know what spielman's title is but you know mike florio kind of said this he said this exactly it's like you know those kneecap biters, that's the kind of players Chris Spielman was. And that's, you know, you got a bunch of guys that are looking for the same kind of guy. Well, could you pick anyone better to be the translator? I mean, I'm not saying Sheila doesn't get football or no. anything like that, but you've got Spielman, who, I mean, I hope everyone knows who he is, but I mean, hell of a player, obviously understands football. And it's like, and you've got him with the same mentality of your head coach, and he's translating this back and forth for the needs to Sheila. So, you know, you got the guy who can go out there and grunt it out, but can also put on his suit, right? And the and the office, and it's like he's very soft spoken, very but and very respected everywhere. He had a great broadcasting career. He was a broadcaster for a long time. He left that. I mean, this is the same guy that during his career. Chris Spielman, I'm talking about. When his wife got cancer, he stopped playing. He took the year off to help his wife while he was still an NFL player. I mean, this says a lot about that guy. And his wife eventually passed away. 
but they have this foundation for her that's made millions and it donates millions to cancer research. But I think you're right. And I think the translator is the right, that's the right word. He can, you know, hear from one side and talk to the other and do the same thing the other way. But I also think, you know, I saw that locker room after that Green Bay game and you would have thought that we had won the Super Bowl. And we won that game, but we didn't make the playoffs. We already knew we lost the playoffs, too. Yeah. Before the we game even started. Before we kicked off. We knew that we weren't going to make the playoffs. She was in the locker room after the game. And Dan Campbell gave two game balls out. He gave one to Jamal Williams for doing all the stuff he did. He gave the other one to Sheila Ford Ham. And he just said, you guys have no idea. She knows everything about you. She is very competitive, and she's she gives us all the resources we need, and she wants to win. And you could just tell it was from the heart. And I, no, I agree with everything. Well, you that said. was I. I, I that, think it's it's a nice. It's finally nice to see. You know, it's nice to finally see this. Yeah, and whether it was happening behind the scenes or not, now it's at least up in front of us. And and. That what you were saying about that game ball, it's kind of funny you brought that up. That actually is um, kind of the moment that the article I was reading about her is written about is that after she received that game ball, you know, through her frustration, she went and called other owners throughout the league to talk about the officiating because it's like, listen, the, the, we're not talking about our game. We won our game, regardless of what the fucking calls are. But there were other calls, and that unfortunately affected us. And it's like, but this has been going on all season. Have you guys seen it as well? And and I think those moments show the culture there's built, they're building. And I'm not trying to make it more of a big deal than it is, but by the coach handing her a game ball and saying, you mean something to us, and then her immediately taking that and going, I got to go fight for this team again. That shows the culture they're all building together. And I think that's awesome. Like it, it's just a great big family that's willing to go to bat for each other. It's a good thing. Now, when you talk about officiating, I mean, I, and I put this in my own notes and I neglected to send it to you. <laughs> Replay. I, I mean, I've had, I've freaking had it. It's too much. I watched this Cincinnati Buffalo game. Did you see the Jamar Chase catch in the end zone? I did not. He caught a ball, made a great catch. It was a great throw by Burrow. It was early in the game. I want to say it was 14 to 10. I believe it was 14 to 10. It might have been 14 to 7. I'm not certain. Cincinnati was leading. And it seems like it was right before the half. And it was on third down. And it, and they were, you know, it might've been third and goal. I have no horse in this race. Okay. I don't care if Buffalo wins. I don't care if Cincinnati wins. As far as I'm concerned, they're both good young teams. They both have stars. I have no, I have no money on it. I have nothing. I have no horse in this race. That catch that Jamar Chase made, which they eventually I mean, he did an acrobatic move to get his feet in. Then he gets pushed out by this Milano, this linebacker for the Bills. 
He's two yards out of the end zone, and the ball moves. Now, he has already slid five or six feet in the snow, and the ball moves in his hand, but it never touches the ground, not even close to touching the ground. He's on his back. And they called that incomplete. And I mean, I'm sitting here watching the game by myself while your mom's reading her books on her Kindle. And I'm just walking through the house. It's like, I've freaking had it. I've had it. They look and they look at it for five minutes. This was the closest thing to the Calvin Johnson completion of the catch thing that I've seen since. Well, I just I just watched it while you were talking about it, just so I'd have some reference. And, I mean, not only is that a catch, but it, I'm, I'm just getting tired of them not sticking with the rules of the game. Like, I, I, like if someone hits him right there, okay, let's, let's say he's in the field of play. Someone hits him, and that ball comes out. That's a fumble. And they call it a catch and fumble, and they've done it all season long. And, and Milano now, is you, jabbing at the ball. That's why it moves. Right. I mean, but he's I mean, trying to pull the ball away. What I'm saying away. is the other call all year would have been he caught it and fumbled. Yes. And now because he's in the end zone, you're saying incomplete catch. But then also there's, there's another part of that rule. It's like you're down by contact. Okay, well, he's already been sliding on his ass for two yards. That's down. And a player's on top of him. So and he's out he of has, the end zone. He's right, out of the but, field of play. Right, but I, I'm just saying, like, in the simple fact of down by contact, if he has possession of the ball and a player's touching him and he's got knees, hips, whatever, on the ground, he's down by contact. So we're negating that rule now. But then the last one, if you dive or you get tripped, the, the ground cannot cause a fumble, right? The ball, if, if right. you slam onto the ground with the ball and it pops up in the air, it's not a fumble. Right. In the video that I just watched where it gets zoomed in, his elbow hits the ground, which, again, means he's already down. The player's pushing down on the football, and the force between the player's arm, the defender's arm and the ground causes that ball to slide up onto his stomach, in which he still is holding onto it, but it moved. So we're negating three rules that are called consistently the other way all season long for and this is the problem replay has its own issues but when we're taking things away when we say oh it was a bang bang play oh it was this oh it was that but then we don't say the same thing about a catch in the end zone i don't understand that i mean if someone can catch it with their fingertips and tiptoe and that counts as in then it doesn't matter if they hit the ground or not and the ball comes out. I'm sitting there, and I, and I really did. That was the closest thing to the Calvin Johnson complete the process bullshit rule. That was the closest comparison that I've seen since. And I mean, and then I get even more infuriated when the guy in the booth defends the call. It's like, are you guys even watching the same game I'm watching? I mean, I know I'm not a pro. I've never coached pro ball. I'm not an official. I've never officiated even a college game. But it's like, God dang, I know the rules. And that's a catch. That is a catch. Now, I was so pissed. And I mean, your mom's going, what's the matter? Because I'm like walking up and down the hallway going, oh my God, I can't believe it. They take five minutes and then still get it wrong. 
Later on in the same game, Joe Mixon, I Cincinnati had, I want to say they had first and goal, then second and goal, and their second and goal was like at the one or at the half-yard line. Then Buffalo was off sides. So then now they have third and goal, and it's literally four inches away. I will tell you this. I did not see Joe Mixon get into the end zone. But I saw where he was, because there's this mass of humanity. I mean, Joe Mixon scored. I have no doubt in my mind. The people announced, but, but you couldn't see. I mean, even the pylon camera that goes at the goal line, because there's so much people, so many people in there, and there's such a, you know, a lot of humanity mm-hmm. trying to stop him, because it was a run between the tackles. But you could just tell, I mean, it's like he's in. I mean, he has to be in. It's like, I don't care if I can't see the ball. I know he still has it. It hasn't popped out because his back's to me. But the two and the eight are over the goal line. And the ball's in his chest. And I know that. And it's like, they did the review, and they eventually called that a touchdown. But on the field, they said it wasn't. And I remember like, the announcers talking about the that, f- and they go, well, I see his shoulder pads are over the line and his knees are over the line. So his whole fucking body's over the line. I don't... What do you mean? I, I, well, yes. It's not <laughs> the, like he's holding the ball between his ass cheeks. I mean, I see his shoulders and his knees, but I didn't see his belt over the line. Yeah, what does that mean? What else are you looking for? I. I but again... In that case, thank God for replay, because the, on the field, I can't believe they're looking down the goal line. And, you know, because you see them all the time, they, they do touchdown. They err on the side of touchdowns. To me, it seems like a lot. Now, maybe that's a con- I don't have statistics. You know, and then they'll go back and look, and you'll say, no, he was actually down a foot away, you know. And, you know, or he didn't make it in. But, I mean, this was such, you know, and again, I've we've had this. They look at it for five minutes on the catch and still get it wrong. And then this son of a gun in the booth who's like, they're buds. You know, he's worked with these guys. These are guys of integrity. All he does is back their play. That is such bullshit. I cannot hardly stand that. So I'm just, I don't no, even I know. We've, t- we've talked I, about replay, and I don't know what to do with it, buddy. I just Well, don't. I just, I, I'm tired of the juggling shit. Like, I don't, and I mean that. Like, if someone clearly is tapping the ball around because they can't get a hold of it, fine. But, like, if you're going to tell me that if the ball moves at all, like on catches, or someone hits the ground, the ball slides out of their hands, out of their chest, but they never drop it, but they slid out of bounds while it happened, you're going to call that incomplete then we need to go back and remove all the championships of all time and remove all the the undefeated Miami Dolphins. It's got to go away. Their records, because none of those games are going with catches because they they wouldn't count today. you'd, You'd have bobbled it for too fucking long. You'd have stepped out of bounds. You wouldn't have got your feet down. And it's like, if, if we can't acknowledge that the ball moving 
can still be considered in someone's possession as long as they do not lose control of the ball. The then the history of football is fucking garbage because none of the other catches yeah. would have counted. And, and the the other thing I was going to say about the goal line, I I'm getting tired of that excuse too from the refs where it's like, well, you can't see and and I don't know, and since I can't make a definitive answer, okay. Welcome to this fucking century. We have the technology. Put a chip in the put ball. Put a chip inside the laces or in the ball Jeez. and put a laser underground at the fucking goal line because you use a different goddamn ball when you kick anyways. So the hard kicks and hits like that, they're not going to happen to the ball that has the chip in it. And by the way, you have so many goddamn balls in the NFL, you could chip a million balls if you needed to. And it just have a laser threshold in which if this ball crosses, and it's like... Jared, I, isn't that a geofence? Isn't that called a geofence? It's a, we have that technology. Yeah, a form of one. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, a form of one. So you're, you're right. The technology's all over the place. I'm with you, bud. I, well, I, I mean, I can set two little plastic items down in my living room and a collar on my dog, and it has electric fence in the house. You're telling me we can't figure this out with the, the NFL's mic? I just, it, it floors me. <laughs> it just It's just like, me. oh, our cameras are inside the pylon, but they just happen to get knocked over. They're shitty quality, and, you know, sometimes we lose camera feed. Well, maybe and, you shouldn't put them in the thing that gets hit all the time. People are diving over it. And we're talking about an organization that because of people like you and me and millions and millions of others, they print money. This well, would be and with the laser thing, nothing to them. Right. With the laser thing, too, the, the, the reason I, I would love to see this go forward with, with a chip in the ball, whether you have to put one on each end of the ball or you put one in the center of the ball and you have to have like a threshold of, of four inches or whatever, assuming, you know, whether the ball across the plane or not, I don't know. But the, the, the thing I would like about having that laser there is the same technology you put in the fucking goal line, you could put in the markers for the first downs so that sure. when it gets to fourth and inches... Sure. That guy is not allowed to move. The guy who's holding the down marker. Not not the down marker, but the first the the chains, the line to game. The guys who are holding that, they are not allowed to move. And then literally you hit the sensor, whatever it is, someone up in the booth, a referee, I don't give a shit, hits the sensor to tell you if that ball crossed the threshold of that line. And it's like even using simple things like infrared technology, you could have lasers people couldn't see actually on the field so right. that in a, through a certain camera lens, you would be able to see the the tracking chip cross over the laser or not. And I just don't know why we're not doing it. Well, it just seems like there's a multitude of solutions and we're, you know, I they'll think be we'll the head last that way. to do it. They'll be the, they'll, they'll, you know, six, seven, 10 years from now, They'll say, we have this great innovation. And I mean, I've been talking about chips in the ball since you were a kid. And I, I've even talked to you about it. Well, it's I mean, like, shit, baseball wouldn't do anything. No, I mean, forever, when you so. were a kid. So it's like, but, you know, the NFL, you know, and again, they could do it. They could do anything they want. This is like a money factory. <laughs> well, that. <laughs> 
That's why I was thinking, like, and I originally, and I know I'm kind of going in a deep dive here, but when I originally was thinking about the chip and the ball, I I would assume you'd put one somewhere in the center. But if you were to go back to using a striped football like they do in college, those white stripes, if they had the right paint on them, could act as your two indicators on both ends of the ball with only one chip in the middle. And so it's like if those stripes cross the line or if the chip using its location crosses the line, it's touchdown. And you I'm don't not have an aerodynamics engineer, but you just said, you know, I'm thinking you put it on both ends of the ball for balance. But what you just said, okay, why let's not worry about the white stripe. If we could put it on in paint, make it a brown stripe. Make it on the end like yeah. a, a, a like a tiny cap on the end like a cone you know that's 1 inch in diameter on each end of the football i mean come on guys we don't have to invent this for you and i know those are rudimentary ideas but the point is it could be done because the more you know you and i have talked about this before everything's bigger stronger faster it's going to continue to be that way it is that's how we're geared and this human element, you've got to take as much out of it as you can when you judge these things, because it's getting to the point where the naked eye, even in the best of scenarios, it can't, doesn't do it accurately. Well, and the and problem we're in today, though, is it's, it's not even just that, it's one or the other. If you're, if you're going to use technology... You've got to use it to its maximum ability. Otherwise, you can't use it at all. Well, that's not what they're doing for sure. Right. right? But, but I mean, what I'm saying is like with replay, it's like you, you can't use it for this scenario and not that. And then we get into how long the games are and all this horseshit. But it's like there's so many plays where it's like, aren't you going to review that? Does this team really have to call a timeout and challenge? Aren't you going to take a look? Shouldn't we know already if that was a first down or not? Like we... There's all of these plays that are going on throughout the game where we don't use the technology. But then you might drive 99 yards down the field with six questionable plays that never get reviewed. But when you get in the end zone, we spend 10 minutes on it just to make the wrong call. And it's like, well, we either use technology or we don't. But like, you can't just pick and choose like, ah, hey, here you go. You know, I, there was a few things that happened. I mean, I, I was... Again, I had no I had no skin in that game, but the Bengals look the Bengals look pretty damn good. They the really Bengals did. against the Bills? Yeah. They look pretty they good. Look dominant. They look like the best team in the league, in my opinion. Joe Burrow, I think he is the next big thing. But one thing I wanted to mention before we take a deep dive was that um the player who had the heart condition where where his heart stopped on yeah. the field yes. and he was recovering DeMar Hamlin. Yeah. Um not only was he able to go, you know, from from the facility he was at in Cincinnati all the way back to the Buffalo Bills General Hospital, but then they removed um his breathing tube over time and he was off a ventilator and then they got him up and walking around. He actually was able to make an appearance at the playoff game and sit and watch it from a suite, which I, I mean I just thought that was really cool that they showed him, well. you know, and he's doing the heart thing with his hands. Yeah. yeah. That was that's pretty cool. That was good to see. 
I, you know, and again, that's uh, that story. It's an incredible, it's an incredible story. And, you know, it's nice and it's a positive one, and a good one for everybody. You know, um, I, I, Kansas city, I, I, I watched all the playoff games this weekend. Chad Henney is amazing. That is an amazing story. Did you see that? No. That Patrick was a game Mahomes, I didn't watch. Patrick Mahomes got hurt. He turned his ankle and it, it looked bad. It looked yeah. bad. And it was, I want to say in the second quarter, the Chiefs got pinned down at like their two with a punt. Henny comes in, he hasn't played in two years, I think they said, which the last time he played was in the playoffs, and he started, and he won a game. He's 37 years old now. They take over at like the two. He goes 98 yards in like 15 plays and a touchdown. Well, they Mahomes comes back, plays the second half, and, and you know, they... The Kansas City was the better team. There's right. no question about that. But what a what a story, Chad Henney, Michigan man. Well, and I he's, mean, a lot to a lot of people, he still throws the best slant they've ever seen, and it's like throws when you're it pretty good. Your, go ahead. You know, Andy Reid is amazing because his first play call, and maybe I'm getting some field position mixed up now that I think about it. But I remember the first play he came in was a pass. I mean, he threw a, a, a yeah, little out, and he completed it. And it, but it was like this guy—he's thirty-seven. Short darts made that guy's career, and it's like if you need someone who's going to be pinned down to walk down the field, those short, quick routes. I mean, not, not just at Michigan, but in his pro career, uh, lots of people have said it's like you cannot throw it better than him. And we're not talking about his deep ball. We're not talking about comebacks or, or back shoulder fades. But when it comes to a slant or a very short out, five to ten yards, it's like he throws the best ball that people have ever seen. Pretty, it's just an amazing story. It really is. And then, you know, Brock Purdy's an amazing story too. We talked about him last week, Mister Irrelevant. You had, yes. I know you had some comments about Dak, but oh. I will tell you before you go on about Dak, just real quick. That was one of the harder-hitting games I've seen. I mean, I saw that guys go backwards football. a bunch of times, like running backs, tight ends, receivers, I mean, and on both sides of the ball. Not only were San Francisco guys getting their lunch, Dallas guys were too. And that was one of the harder-hitting games I've I've seen well, this year. The defenses were so dominant that it you could almost feel like a, a – dread or a nervousness of the offenses coming out like a shit because everyone was just getting throttled and it's like i mean there was at least two quarters of football where it was three and out three and out three and out by both teams and it was i mean those defenses were just flying and the offense you know obviously they're doing what they could i know kittle made a hell of a catch that was um, a sweet play. McCaffrey did pretty good for the beating that he took. Um, but but I just, like, there were some violent hits. Those guys came ready to play. And the, my favorite part about it, uh, unless there was one that I missed, it was all clean hits. Nobody got penalized. 
I didn't see any dirty I saw hits. A late hit out of bounds. There One were like two of, of those, and those were, you know. I mean, I didn't. I thought they should have been called. I really did. It's one were, of those you got to stop yeah. the guy from running you over, but you didn't have to launch into you him. You didn't type have to do what you did, and right. and you know, one of them, the Greenlaw one, it wasn't even that hard of a hit, but you didn't have to hit him at all. He was way out of bounds. Right. <laughs> it was like, and I tell you what, though, that Fred Warner, Jesus, that guy he's is a, a freak man. I mean, he's covering C.D. Lamb down the field, and he's a middle linebacker. Did you see him? Insane. Uh, did you see him talking shit? Like, I th- it may have been like right before half or something, and the Cowboys had a chance to like call timeouts and go downfield, and they didn't. And he walks right up to the line, and the the sky cam like zooms in to the field to where you can see the players faces. And I mean, it looks like this camera is two inches from his face and he is pointing over the center, right in Dak Prescott's face, just yelling all kinds of shit. And it's like, this guy's going to murder you. (laughs) But his coverage downfield is unbelievable. I mean, his speed is, is, you know, I remember making a joke when we were watching the Rams play about how Wagner couldn't cover me. It's like, this guy would cover me, wrap me up, tie me up in a bow, and <laughs> fucking ship me back to where I came from. I, I mean, you know, and they have other guys on their they defense. Do. They really do. Now, I was just, I was just thinking about this. Um, I, Dre, Dre Greenlaw is a hell of a player, too. Now, and I've always kind of watched him because you remember, you remember how we ended up getting that jersey, that Frank Ragnow jersey for JJ? Yes. You know, it was just through business associates, and then one of them found out that we were Lions fans, and his roommate was Frank Ragnow. Well, he was also good friends with Dre Greenlaw. Dre Greenlaw went to Arkansas with Frank Ragnow. Yeah, I'm awesome. telling you, dude. That had to be, well, and they weren't very good because Bielema was there, but how in the hell weren't they very good? <laughs> right? It makes I mean, you wonder when stuff talent. like that happens. Yeah, that's, a, and then, and they, that team's loaded. I mean, that Nick Bosa, that, that dude's frightening. And they've got others. You know, they've got a lot of folks on that team. But it was a that was a hard hitting game, and but I know you were you weren't well, happy with Dak. Yeah, on the on the note of Bosa though, he's got, and I don't I'm not an Ohio State guy, so it's painful for me to talk pleasant about people. But um, w- when it comes to him, it's like he's got the skills and talent of his brother, of his other family members, but he's also a very smart player. And I think Seems that's, like it. I think that's what makes him so difficult. You know, it's like JJ uh, Watt was like this earlier in his career. I don't know as, as his career started to twilight, I didn't pay attention to him as much, but it's like, you, you don't drop JJ Watt in coverage very often, but you, you could. And he's got the hands of a tight end. Cause he used to be a tight end, but like, if he can't get to you, his hands are in the way. He's blocking your vision. He's tipping the pass. He He's changing up his moves to set up one later. But he's also even 
even when he's in contain, giving you jab steps like he's creating pressure and then dropping back because he wants you to make a mistake to where he can capitalize, if not this play, later in the game. And I see Bosa do that a lot in his mind games that he's playing, again, with typically one of the better offensive linemen, if you can find one, uh, going over at the tackles, you know, especially left tackle. It's like the games he's playing with those guys and the, those guys are usually great big giants it's like it's incredible to see what he does um but, but with Dak Prescott you know you hear all the jokes about him and it's like there's only one thing for cuz everybody's say, saying Cowboys for the Super Bowl all that and you hear it's like there's only one thing for sure and that's that Dak will lead the league in interceptions and all this shit and and it's like there's shade on both sides but man it, when I saw them, they seemed to be fairly loaded offensively. I've not followed the Cowboys all year long, but they, they see, I mean, CeeDee Lamb's awesome. Their two backs are very good. Um, they, they've obviously got weapons around the field and a pretty creative play call or play calling staff to, to make things happen. But it's like, I, I like Dak. I watched him in college. I liked him there. I've always thought he's tough. I've thought he's a good leader, although he's not always been the most accurate. Um, but I watched him in that game. That was one of the worst QB performances I've ever seen. I mean, it wasn't, A, you threw three picks in the first half, come back in the second. No, you threw two picks in the first half, and you still looked like shit in the second. And it's like every ball was late. Every ball was behind the receivers. He didn't look like he was reading the defense or his receivers' combination routes. There'd be times where they were going to go downfield, and he threw it short. He had to check down to his tight end, who looked like he didn't care about playing. I don't know if you saw that. But he at the end he, when he nonchalanted that ball. Well, he did it twice in a row. He did it twice in a row. Yeah, so they, they like threw it tool. to him on a they threw it to him on an out. And the rule in the NFL is that if you run out of bounds and you're making contact with a defender, you have to be running out of the bounds in a forward direction for the clock to stop. And then you got a kicker who's on the sidelines shitting like Well, so <laughs> yeah, so pants. the tight end gets hit <laughs> and just backs up out of bounds. So now the clock's running as they're running out of time. What an idiot. But then they throw the ball to him again, and he's going to get a first down and stop the clock out of bounds, and he only puts one foot down when he had, like, six yards of space. Yeah. He just, like, trotted out of bounds. Yep, I did see both those plays. And it just, was just, I mean, as a team, obviously there were woes, and we'll get into the kicker in a minute, but I'm not, I don't know if he had some sort of, like, leg or, or if he had some sort of concussion. But, I mean, Dak Prescott looked like a freshman college quarterback going, oh, my God, this game's too fast. And that's all he did was throw the ball late and shitty. And he threw two picks. He should have thrown about six. He was, tw- he was 23 out of 37 for 206 yards, one TD, two picks, and he was sacked once. And they, His numbers, I know that the 49ers... And, it was a tough defense there. Well, but the but, 49ers dropped four interceptions for sure in that game. They dropped it like it went right through their hands. So, I mean, his two picks aren't even close to, to what it should have been. Brock Purdy, <laughs> Mr. Irrelevant, 19 out of 29, 214, 
no TDs, no interceptions, sacked twice. So other than the picks and the TD, he had the same game as Dak Prescott, and he's a rookie that's only played three games in the NFL. Well, he's played like six, but yes. yes. Yeah. So, but I mean, that's my point. Missed the last well, pick I in just the didn't want, I didn't just want you to go hey, off half cocked. Just as good as yours, and I don't fucking play football, really. So, you know, I just came over here. It, I mean, come on. like, And I like Dak Prescott, and I don't hate the Cowboys. I hate all the fucking fake media they get, but I don't hate the Cowboys. And I like that Dak Prescott, but I mean, even his completed passes – on crossing routes, slant routes, um, ins and outs, it, everyone was having to stop and catch it back hip. I mean, it was just terrible. But worse than Dak Prescott would be their kicker. <laughs> and I mean, that yeah, dude, we, you know, I know it's not funny in the right circumstance, but people always joke, it's like, you got to put that guy on suicide watch. I mean, that was either four or five missed extra points the game before, and then his first kick this game not only gets blocked, but it was sideways like a fucking sandwich before it got to the offensive line, and it looked like like it was going to ear hole the long snapper. I mean... It looked like a sub from Subway. Yeah. If you took a football, just for anyone who didn't see the game, if you took a football and you laid it down on the ground, not put it on its point, but laid it down on its side, and you tried to take your toes and scoop it and flick it up through the uprights, that's what this shit looked like. I I mean... I think the guy who blocked it was shocked because he was, like, on the end of the line. Well, he was... He was reaching over and his hand was like, like his fingertips were just above helmet height. He didn't leave the ground. Oh, right. But I mean, if that ball had made it past his hand, it would have missed by five. It would have been wide left by five to 10 yards. And it was a PAT. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that, that was. I just kickers. What a head Brother Rick and I. Because Rick knows I have a, you know, uh, I don't, I know you got to have kickers and when you need them, you need a good one. But (laughs) (laughs) kickers are so mental. They are. They're so mental. Kickers are like if you had, if you had a guy in your life that you had to pay to be right when it mattered. Like you're like, when there's a big decision, I need you to make it. And I, you got to be right 100% of the time. <laughs> and a bad kicker, they're not right like 50% of the time. And you're like, what the fuck am I paying you for? <laughs> I could have thrown the ball and missed. It's like, like a golfer with the yips on yeah. putts. You know, Johnny Miller was a great golfer, and then he was a commentator on NBC forever. And I thought he was really good as a commentator. And, I mean, he had an occasion where he got the yips on short putts. And I mean, he couldn't make a putt like from he'd missed two and three footers. And I mean, this guy is, a, you know, an elite golfer on the PGA Tour. And he went through this period where he just it was like Steve Sachs when he was playing shortstop or second base for the Dodgers. Second base, he'd like throw it into the dugout 
like <laughs> routine field a routine thing stuck to my hand <laughs> it field field like a routine ground ball and steve Sachs was an all-star second baseman and he just like uh, chuck knoblock for the yankees did the same thing he couldn't throw the ball to first from from fielding a ball at second that's how kickers get <laughs> they get I watched head <laughs> it's like you- they're like if they make contact (laughs) yeah or when they slip and they fall on their ass oh my god it's funny you brought up golf because i just watched a video and and i think it was from the uh the american express pga outing and and this guy i i don't know golfers so for anyone out there if i'm butchering this i apologize but it it, his name is his last name is kims it's like sh kims or something like that And, and apparently he's a very good golfer you know, he's hitting a lob shot somewhere from the fairway to go to the green. And the weirdest thing I've seen happen in golf happens. He hits this shot and it hits the flagpole at such an angle that usually if you hit it, you ricochet off and you roll 20 feet away and you're like, what the hell? It bent the pole backwards while still sitting on the pole, and then the pole launched the ball like it was a slingshot. Like that, I don't know if what I'm saying totally makes sense. No, I, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, I, I mean, it, and it slung this fucking ball. <laughs> it went past the green. It went past the rough. <laughs> and you know how PGA courses are. They're just brutal. It goes over a ridge, and it rolls like 25 feet down. A hill. I'm, we're talking one of those <laughs> insanely deep bunkers by like an ocean side. It, it was like one of those. So it goes down this sloped hill and then stops right before a bunker. It was such a weird shot in the sand rake, you, like to get your footprints and ball marks out of the sand. Yeah. It was laying on the ground. That gap between the handle and the rake that's like one and a half inches off the ground stopped the ball it got stuck so wow. it fl- it got slingshotted off of the pole went all the way down this hill got stuck under the sand rake so then he had to hit from there and when he hit it went up top but it had backspin it came all the way back down and went past him into the bunker he did it four more times he ended Ooh. up with the snowman Ooh. he went plus eight on the hole <laughs> Ooh. And then, and then he had the, um, I don't know if this, where, if this was at like sawgrass or whatever, but it was one of the famous Island holes, right? Like one of those courses has it on like 17 where you're Delane, um, Idaho has one of those. So one, of one of the holes that he was on, it was the next hole. They said, this is the weirdest, um, the weirdest sequence of, of events in two holes (laughs) in like PGA tour history. That's why I saw it. So he, he gets this snowman. Obviously, the guy's got the yips or whatever. And now he's got to tee off onto one of the holes where it's an island. So your shot can only land on the green or else you're in the water. And he tees off and it's short and it's left. And you're like, oh, shit. He smokes this rock that's in the water. And that ball has to go 40 feet in the air. It lands on the fucking green. (laughs) And then he made his next putt for birdie. 
It was like, what is happening? I don't <laughs> Or maybe maybe made for par, but regardless, I mean, he just hit the piss out of this rock, and it's like, there's no way. And I just, and it's just funny because, like, you need something like that. You need a slump buster to get you out of the yips. And it's like that kicker for the Cowboys. There, there's oh. no saving him. I mean, I mean, when you see two more kicks later that game, and both of them were squirrely and almost wide right. And you'll see guys. You'll see guys. They'll live through it. Mason Crosby's done that, and he's been with the Packers forever. Like he'll have cases of the yips, and I mean, he'll miss four field goals in a row. He'll, you know, he just he can't hit a twenty-five yarder. Right and then. Then he'll get out of it, and he'll make you know six fifty some yarders in a row. And he's been with them for fifteen or more years. He's been around forever, and he'll do. He's worked his way through it. But man, when you see a kicker get get the yips, it's that's how it was for Prater with the Lions. It's it's, like you you remember he used to have a drinking problem. People are like, somebody get this guy a fucking shot. Yeah. Get him a like if he's hammered, he makes him just fine. But when he's not, he's a nutcase. Well, he could drill a sixty yarder and miss a PAT. Yeah, and he did. He did, did that. I mean, and he was a good kicker in Detroit. Not want to minimize how good he was because no, he, was, he very was. Good. But when you see those guys go through that, I mean, it it is painful. You do, they're people. You feel sorry for them, but at the same time, it's pretty funny. I mean, I'm sitting there watching pro baseball players that are all-star players. And all of a sudden, like, there's been catchers where they can't throw it back to the pitcher. I mean, uh, the, they or throw it in the center. miss the ball that hits them in the head. They throw it into center field. Or they well, the run it out that, there and... You know, the, I, the hardest part for a kicker, happened. in my opinion, though, is like obviously if they go back and they look at it on the film, they can see if they messed up one of their steps or the laces were the wrong way sure. or they kicked it, whatever. But for the most part, if everything went somewhat swimmingly and then they just missed it and they can't get it right, the worst part for a kicker is it's like when you, when you're a QB and you make a bad throw, you threw a high, you released it late, whatever the case is. Same thing in baseball when a ball just sticks to your hand too long and you, instead of whipping it all the way to first base, you throw a fucking grounder by accident because it's stuck in your hand. But when these kickers miss, you can see just by the look on their face, it's like, dude, I don't know what the fuck went wrong either. Like, (laughs) they're just as clueless as you are. And it's like, I I swear I'm doing the same thing. You know, and then you got six guys that are twice your size coming up saying, that's okay. That's all right. Come on, buddy. (laughs) Yeah, don't worry. We'll only kill you if you miss the next one. (laughs) Yeah. I crap bigger than you. Well, and I mean, you're also dealing with the world's best athletes who are playing 60 and 70 plays a game, and they're like, thanks, bro. You have four plays, and you fucked it up. I mean, that's got to be rough. Like the the mental torture, the the anguish of that position has got to be tough. I, I when we had that, it's so unappreciated. When you have a good kicker, everyone expects them to make it, and when you don't, it's their fault when you lose. Well, in pregame, and I'm not going to remember who it was. It might have been Fred Warner. I don't know, so I can't say that for a fact. But while that Dallas kick was warming up, somebody from San Francisco came over and was jawing. Yeah. And it was been pretty. I hope we get down to a game winning field goal because oh, yeah. you ain't going to make shit. That'll be great. <laughs> you can't hit a bull in the ass with a base fiddle. 
I mean, uh, it's just so funny to me. I, there's so many relatable things that we, it is. Know, my buddies it is. and I, we talk about it. Uh, we talk about it in video games and it's because we, we all play shooters, right? So we're very aggressive type of players in the games. Um, we're usually very skilled. One of the better teams when we're playing and you're constantly pushing the pace and you're headshotting your opponents and taking them down and you're just, you know, your accuracy's through the roof because you're just really good at the game. But every now and then something just happens where like, the, the you don't compute like your muscle memory gives up on you and your brain's not sending the signal fast enough and we call it a potato because it's just like all the little spuds on a potato it's like i was trying to hit him but i couldn't hit the side of a barn so it was just all over the freaking place and it's like there's so many relatable things but when you get to a kicker i, I mean I'm sure putting and golf and, and all that has its moments when the championship's on the line, but I don't know of many sports or positions you can be put in in a sport that get more pressure consistently like a kicker does. And it's fair, and you're right. The money's on the line. It, the money's on the line lots of times. I mean, so it's last second. It's like super pressure. It's not just your paycheck. It's everybody's paycheck. And it's like, you know, because they get bonuses for these playoff wins. I mean, how like big that. a nuts do you think uh, Vinatieri has? <laughs> oh, huge. <laughs> like, just, incredible. He's just walking around with clock weights going, yeah, yeah this doesn't bother me. <laughs> yeah. Well, you'd have to. You'd have to have it in your mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Ice water in his veins, but. <laughs> I have a funny story about Vinatieri. Um and and I know I've kind of gone off the rails today, but but uh, this one's semi-related, and it's about Vinatieri and kicking. Um, Pat McAfee, when when he got drafted, um, the the Colts called him before he was going to get drafted, and and they said, "Can you hold?" And he goes, "Yeah, yeah." They go, "All right, we're going to draft you." And he like looks over and at his family, and they're like, "What's going on?" He's like, "They asked if I could hold, and if I did in college." And I said, "Yeah." And they're like, "Well, can you?" And he's like, "Never done it once." <laughs> So they draft him, and he gets there, and instantly, Vinatieri, being the legend of a kicker that he is, can tell that he's never held before. He sent him to another state to a training camp where all he did was learn how to hold. He's like, you're not fucking up my kicks. And he sent him to this this like one-on-one -on -one dude where he stayed at the guy's house for like a week and had to learn how to hold. And I just, that was one of those things where it's like, you know what, though? Good for you, because that kicker is in the worst spot, and if the holder messes it up, oh, man. <laughs> but I just, well, I thought that was one of the funny stories, you know? Yeah, and and you're right, man. Kickers are characters, you know? I, I just, uh, you're right, though. I mean, there's a lot, they have a lot riding on them, and we can't. You can't minimize it. I tell you what: when you don't have a good one, you wish you did. Well, you know? let's not let's not forget that there's you know six foot five QBs out there who flinch from these these mongrels trying to tackle them. These yeah. kickers are usually pretty little in stature, and they don't really want to get hit either. So if someone breaks through the line or starts to jump over the line, I think it's kind of fair that they shit their pants. I mean, they're not really wearing pads or a real face mask, let's be honest. <laughs> and they're definitely not equipped with the tools to stop a defensive lineman. I just thought it was great that somebody on the Niners, before the game, because that 
the previous game was where Maher had missed at least four extra points. I thought it was four. You thought it might have been five, and then he missed one yesterday. But it was like whoever, whatever it was, whether it be Great four or five, somebody from the Niners is walking over while he's practicing his kicks, and they're talking shit to him. You think they should make it 10 feet wider? I thought that was great. I just thought that it's was such fantastic. a good game plan. I love that. Like, what a mental game to play. Well, just want to I, put it in your head that we all saw you miss. Everybody's noticed that you, you're having a rough time. I'm, <laughs> I'm like running on empty. Um, I, I wanted to mention a movie, but I don't, we don't need to go in depth into it. Okay. But it's a 1994 movie, and if you haven't seen it, I think it's a classic. It's a romantic comedy. It's called Four Weddings and a, or yeah, Four Weddings and a Funeral. I almost said Four Funerals and a Wedding. Hugh Grant is in it. Andy McDowell is in it. It's a romantic comedy. It's that kind of I don't know any other way to describe it other than British humor. And the supporting character, Hugh Grant is great in this movie. He really is, and he's funny. It, I, and I think he usually is in those kind of roles. But the supporting characters in this movie are really funny. And it's a romantic comedy. It kind of has a happy ending. But there's some chuckles all the way through it. And I just really think it's worth the watch. It's... If you haven't seen it, it's 1994. It's called Four Weddings and a Funeral. And I, I just happened to watch it again the other day. I, I just think that's a great movie. I know well, you I mean, had said that he's you, a great you actor. Remember that that movie in particular? No, I, I I when I look at the cast, I know I've seen it. I just it was it must have been a long time. I mean, it's a 1994 movie, so yeah. I was four when it came out, but yeah. I probably watched yeah. it when I was ten. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but but the cast in there, I mean, it, you can tell it's it's a funny, good spirited cast. I also have looked at a few pictures, and I and I believe I've seen it before. I just don't recall the movie. I'm sure if I started watching it, I would. But Hugh Grant as an actor, I, I I've just always kind of had. Um, I guess a soft spot for his type of humor and his his demeanor in which he carries himself in, in movies. There's there's been um, Notting Hill, which yep. is kind of a uh, romantic comedy. Which again, another British comedy, but it's it's just got funny parts. He's got a roommate that is absolutely disgusting but hilarious at the same time. And it kind of lets you into the idea of like, we all have dysfunctional families. And so he deals with that. Um, another great movie that he's in is called Mickey blue eyes. Yeah. And I believe it's, is it going to be his father-in-law is a, is a mobster? His soon to be father-in-law is a mobster. Yes. And, and so one of my favorite scenes in that is they're, they're trying to get him to carry a gun and act like a tough guy. And not only is he put the gun in his pants and it, falls all the way out to his ankle but then they're trying to teach him to like you know forget about it and he's sitting there and he just because of his british accent he can't say it like he's a tough guy and he's like forget about it like it just (laughs) sounds so bad can't do the gangster Um, speak no he can't but but uh, it, it just you know mickey blue eyes another another really i i thought that movie's really funny um but yeah, this 
Four Weddings and a Funeral is, again, it's a romantic comedy. It's not like it's action-packed or anything, but uh, I, I thought it was worth watching, as are, as are other Hugh Grant movies. I know you liked, he was in Love, actually. I know you liked love that Love that. He's got a dance scene in that that I love. Yeah. I thought that yeah. was a good that was a good movie too, but yeah, if you don't mind, I'd just as soon uh, wrap it up when you're ready. Yeah, um, the last thing on Four Weddings and a Funeral, the, the I just pulled up like the leading cast, and and I'm sure there's more in here, but the leading six are Hugh Grant, Andy McDowell, Kristen Scott Thomas, John Hanna, Charlotte Coleman, and Rowan Atkinson. Rowan Atkinson is Mr. Bean. Mr. Bean and. and John Hanna, I've seen him in a million different movies, but I believe he is the brother in the mummy. Of, yes, of the leading female in the mummy. So yep. that's what I would recognize him from. And again, the cast is just it's awesome and phenomenal. But on that note, I am ready to wrap it up. So to everyone out there, we appreciate you listening this far. We obviously would love to get some feedback. Um you know, I know not everyone's doing it. Uh, I I believe you can comment even without an account. But if you need an account on YouTube, then obviously that that would be the the way to get a hold of us as of right now. In the future, we're looking to spread um, throughout other platforms and potentially, you know, even set up a direct line through email or something. But we really would like to hear some um, comments, some feedback, whether it's constructive criticism, whatever it is. Uh, we definitely want to hear from our listeners and and see what you guys enjoy because um, because this is something that I know I'm having fun doing. I think you're having fun doing it, Dad, and it's something we oh, want yeah. to continue. So just, yes, just please, if you guys have a comment, uh, you know, if you like it, like it. If you don't, give it a thumbs down. If you got a comment and it's constructive, or you got a comment and you want us to talk about a specific topic, just throw it out there, and we'd be happy to discuss and and kind of navigate those waters, but. Other than that, thanks again for listening. Be safe, be smart, make good choices, and peace out. Love you, Dad. Love you too, buddy.
Oh, that's no, making the wish. Oh. He makes me blow up his hand. You're gonna blow up the. <laughs> 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 <laughs>